0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Well, We've been in a series uh, on the book of Jonah. We've been journeying the book of Jonah together, and uh, this is our third Sunday in. In the first couple of Sundays, we focused on giving an introduction, and then we focused on the call of God on our lives. Uh, we focused on running towards God as opposed to what Jonah did, which was run completely the opposite direction, away from the call of God and away from God's presence. And so this morning, we're going to focus on one little verse in uh, the book of Jonah, and Jonah 1.17. And at points during the series, we'll, uh, we'll journey longer portions of Scripture together, and at other points, we'll journey just one verse. There's uh, an eternity of goodness in just one verse of the scriptures, yes? Um, Just an eternity of goodness in that. And this morning, uh, we want to draw our attention to, oddly enough, whale vomit. Oh yes, there it is. It's whale vomit. A friend of mine came up to me uh, about a month ago, and he said, you know, that whale vomit, it's worth a pretty penny. And I said, "Mm, this seems like a point of research for me. He says, oh yeah, every time we go on vacation, I scan the beaches for it because it can fetch a fair price. Whale vomit, otherwise known as ambergris. Ambergris, there you go. You learned a new word this morning at church. Ambergris is essentially whale vomit. You say, now that looks like a stone to me and you'd kind of be right. But what happens is that sperm whales, uh, their diet is largely, um, is largely uh, squid, giant squid and cuttlefish and their intestines, the way that they're made, are unable to break down the sharp bits of the squid and cuttlefish, and so the beaks of the, of the squid get stuck in there. And so what the whale's body does in response is it forms this intestinal slurry of um, goo, and that goo kind of forms in the intestines, and it hardens around the squid beaks and such so to protect the fish to protect the whale. And as the whale is eating, since it cannot digest it, you guessed it, up comes the vomit, or out goes the vomit. Okay, too much, a little TMI there. And so as the ambergris exits the whale's body, you never thought you would get this this morning, did you? I know this is a lot. Hang with me, hang with me. As as the ambergris exits the whale's body, it smells putrid. It's just disgusting. However, the ambergris is very much buoyant. And so as the ambergris bobs and floats along the ocean, the sun hits it, the salt water hits it, and this piece of whale vomit is prized get this, at $40,000 per kilo. In fact, one uh, one fisherman from Thailand last year just found a huge piece that was valued at $1.2 million. Why, you ask? Well, perfume manufacturers have caught on to this centuries ago, and this is why it's so valuable. Let me, let me read you what the New York Times wrote in 1895. It's like ambergris, the blending of a new mown hay, the damp woodsy fragrance of a fern corpse, and the faintest possible perfume of violet. Doesn't that, doesn't that sound nice? In your perfume. And what we find here in the book of Jonah is literally and figuratively that he is like the ambergris. He doesn't come up the same way he went in. That was a joke. He's transformed in the belly. He's transformed in the belly. He has great worth in the mercy of God. And today we are in the belly of the of the fish, the great ketos, and we'll get to that here in a minute. The validity of Jonah over the years has been questioned, as you know, uh, largely by many, many people. Jesus uh, draws our attention to Jonah in the book of Matthew, and if Jesus says it, that Jonah happened, we can take that to the bank that it really did happen. It's not just an analogy, it's not just a story or a myth to spur us on towards something of God, the mercy of God. It actually happened in history. And before you say, "Well, I've never heard of a fish swallowing a man or woman before," I'd like to introduce you to Michael Packard. Now, Michael Packard is somewhat of a modern-day Jonah. He's a commercial uh, commercial lobster diver, and he was on his second dive of the day when he was swallowed by a humpback whale. He's a 56-year-old veteran, and he, as he went die, as, as he went down, he uh, dove, and the. Uh, the humpback whale swallowed him whole. Now, granted, he didn't make it down to the depths like our Jonah did, only to the mouth for about 30 to 40 seconds before the the whale breached the surface, shook its head, and and spit Michael out. (laughs) That's a pretty good gulp there, isn't it? A modern-day Jonah, Michael Packard said, All of the sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. I was completely inside. It was completely black. I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. End quote, Cape Cod Times. (laughs) That's it. But he survived. You know, the Greek word that Jesus used when he talks about Jonah and the great fish, this adjective great is used in the book of Jonah as a um, as a literary ploy to draw our attention to the narrative. The great fish, the great city of Nineveh, Jesus calls the great fish in the Greek, it's ketos, is the word, K-E-T-O-S. And when Jesus talks about the great Ketos, originally what he's talking about in an early um, depictions of the story of Jonah was more like a sea creature, a sea monster than it was a whale. We can see from early drawings that this Animal had like a dog-shaped head and more of like a snaky type of body. In fact, Homer and other ancient Greek authors referred to this word as sea monsters actually swimming about. So whether it was some ancient uh, sort of extinct creature, we'll never know that. But most certainly, most certainly, it was not a whale that swallowed Jonah. But as you know, as we've repeated throughout the series, uh, that the point is not the fish. As we've been saying all together, ready? One, two, three, it's not about the fish. One, two, three, it's not about the fish. It's really not about the fish. So what is it about? Well, in Jonah one seventeen, the Lord provided... That's a key word. A huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And before you say, hey, wait a second. I thought we all just said together it's not about the fish. Why are we focusing on a verse in scripture that's all about the fish? Pause for just one second. And picture the first word that comes to your mind when you think of this scripture. It's provide. the Lord provided. Yahweh is in control here. The fish or ketos, simply does what it's told to do. It does what it's told to do. The verb here is to designate, to specify, to appoint. It doesn't imply that God had a long time in advance to prepare this fish to create maybe a special type of fish or modified existing one so that it could keep a person alive for 72 hours. The Keto simply does what God tells it to do. And that's one of the main points. John Walton was an Old Testament scholar back in the day. In 1952, he said this. He said, in a way, it's a shame that the most familiar part of the book has attracted so much attention, for such attention detracts from the purpose of the message of the book. The use of the verb provided or appointed suggests that the role of the fish should be viewed no differently from that of the sprouting vine later in the book in Jonah 4, 6. The action of the worm that devours the vine and the east wind that torments Jonah, for they are all similarly provided by God. That's the point. The fish only serves as a plot device in the book of Jonah. It's arguably not even the most important animal in the book. To focus on the fish and not the God who sent it is to major on the minor. Here's the point of the fish, and here's the point of this morning. When God has a purpose for you or for me, the thing will be accomplished, and he will go to endless lengths to ensure that it happens. Yes? C.S. Lewis is famous for coining this phrase, severe mercy. And what we run into here in the book of Jonah with the fish is a severe mercy. Tim Keller defines severe mercy this way, events that were difficult, even excruciating at the time, but later came to yield more goodness in our lives than we could have foreseen Any of you experience a severe mercy recently in your life or going through one right now? Every hand in the room should be raised. Jesus said we are no strangers to pain and suffering and the severe mercy of God. God is willing to go to endless lengths to draw us back into fellowship with himself. And the point here with Jonah that many preachers, I believe, miss is that it's all for the mission of God. It's all for God's mission and his kingdom to be accomplished. Somebody's got to preach the word of God to those evil Ninevites. And I fail, I I see that they, uh, in that, that they fail the, the bigger point, which is that God loves Jonah. And God is after Jonah's heart. You know, you could say, well, the bigger picture is Jonah's heart, but unless God gets a hold of Jonah's heart, the Ninevites won't ever repent, Right? He's got to have our hearts first. And so severe mercy actually scandalizes Jonah in this instance, because what Jonah finds is that the mercy he so desperately needs, he's unwilling to show other people, is his only hope. You see that? God saves Jonah... And he's in the belly of a (laughs) ketos. It's kind of a bummer, and yet he doesn't drown. It's kind of the worst possible situation, but he's still alive. And God provides the fish. In children's storybooks, those that we read to our kids even today, It's been um, mythologized, the story of Jonah, into this place where the fish just happens to show up. It's like all of a sudden there's a whale and it's got a smile on its face and (laughs) the sun is shining. Not the case. God provided that fish as an instrument or a vehicle, literally, of his own mercy. A severe mercy. Jonah accepts God's mercy but he desires that others don't receive it. He's implying that he deserves God's mercy more than they do. That something about him is somehow more righteous than about others. And time after time, we read again in the scripture that what truly upsets God, much more than the sins of the pagan world, way more than the sins of the pagan world are the ways people of faith hinder the expression of God's mercy. Yeah, the point here is that God's mercy is for everyone and for anyone who needs it. And now Jonah is experiencing that same mercy he so desperately needs, though he's not willing to extend it towards others. CS Lewis writes this to his friend Sheldon after his wife's death. He said this, "You have been treated with a severe mercy." And it was this phrase that stuck with me. He says it stuck with Sheldon too. He reflects on the phrase when he says it was death, my wife's death, that was a severe mercy. There is no doubt at all that Lewis is saying precisely that, that death, so full of suffering for both of us, suffering that overwhelmed my life, was yet a severe mercy, a mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Isn't that killer? so good. In his book, The Problem of Pain, Lewis again says this, that God whispers to us in our pleasures... He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God actually utilizes our suffering to reveal himself to us and to bring us the lasting joy of life that is with him. Life with him. That's the point of the fish. Paul writes in Romans eight twenty eight and 29 that God is working together all things for the good of those who love him. All things. What does Paul teach us about the purpose of all things? Well, Elizabeth Elliot, who's an author and whose husband Jim was killed during his mission work in Ecuador, once wrote that the secret... Here it is, Elizabeth Elliot. The secret is Christ in me, not me in different set of circumstances. What's she trying to say there? That because God utilizes all things for the good of those who love him, Paul that Elizabeth Elliot and you and I, in the death of her husband, she can see that the answer or solution to her grief, her suffering, her pain is not to take her out of those situations, but that she would meet God in the middle of them. that there's somehow a hidden mercy within the suffering, within the pain, within the hurt, that she can grasp hold of, that's real. That's of substance, so that when she does emerge from that grief, or when you emerge from that suffering, when I emerge from that pain, we're changed from the inside out and never to be the same ever again. Look, Jonah's swallowed by a fish. A great ketos. And on the outside, it looks like it's the end for Jonah. This is it. This is the end. But he's actually being carried by God. Can you or I think of a time in our lives you're saying, I'm going through one right now? (laughs) Where on the outside, it looks like it's the end, there's no hope whatsoever. But in those moments, we're actually being carried by God. The whale or the ketos is a vehicle. It's actually transporting him to where he needs to be. Sometimes life can swallow you and I whole. It looks and it feels like the end. But the mystery of faith is that God uses all of this to carry us towards his purpose for us. Yeah, the answer is not, the solution is not to take me out of the circumstance. The answer is not even certainty of what my life looks like on the other side of hardship we 're so like hardwired in the West to like want certainty and want answers, well, you know as well as I do when you 're in the belly of the fish, there are no good answers. There are no good answers. <laughs> there might be plenty of questions, but there are no good answers and the wrong question to ask is, why am I here but rather the Correct invitation there is, now that I'm here, God, where are you in the middle of it? Because I recognize that this is not because I'm cursed. This is not because I'm a terrible person. This suffering, it's not any of those things, but rather recognizing it as a vehicle that brings us closer to God. That's how the eyes of faith view the belly of the fish. Jesus says in John 16, he says, I've told you all this so that you might have peace in me here on the earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. What Jesus is saying here really is, And what Jonah is experiencing is that the way up is the way down. The way up is the way down. If we want to see change in our lives, how much more our Father in heaven wants to see that change happen? He desires transformation in us, not just for mission's sake, but for our souls to be in relationship with him. To be in communion with him, as Cindy drew us to this morning. To be in communion, communion, co-union with him. And that's the point of severe mercy. That God is willing to go to endless lengths to draw us back. He's working in your pain. He's working in your suffering. And the prayer there is, God, give us eyes to see and a heart to pursue you in the middle of it. Jonah is learning what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39. Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Enough with the cryptic riddles, Jesus. What are you really saying? He says, I mean what I say. Whoever loses their life for my sake will actually find out what it truly means to be alive, fully alive. The bottom is the usual place we learn the greatest secrets of God's grace. It's only at the bottom. Jonah says, and we'll study this next week, he was taken down to the very roots of the mountain. I love that phrase. Can you get any lower than the roots of the mountain? In the belly of a stinky fish. And it's there Jonah is taught the secrets of God's grace. We'll end here this morning. Old Testament scholar Peter C. Craigie writes this. He writes, "But now until Jonah but not until Jonah was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible." Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down in the storm. Jonah went down to the belly of the fish. And now God has him right where he wants him. And my hope this morning is that for you and for me, we would have eyes to see that at the bottom, rock bottom, belly of the fish, last rope, whatever you want to call it, is a perfect position To receive the mercy of God and also to learn how to extend that mercy to others. And I would wager that that's the only place we can learn how to extend mercy to others. Why? Because God has us right where he wants us. Now, God is not Some sadistic father who just loves to torment his kids. Say, Evan, this is a real downer this morning. Thanks a lot. He's really not like that. There's love in the severe mercy of God. There's compassion. The biblical definition of mercy is so intertwined with the idea of compassion, co-passion, this boundless mercy, this boundless love that will go to the ends of the earth to bring you back home, to bring me back into relationship with the one who created me. That's how much God loves Jonah. That's how much God loves the Ninevites. That's how much God loves you. And that's how much God loves me, that he will take me to the belly of the Kitos just to get me back into friendship with himself. Yet, even to the cross itself will Jesus go to show, improve, to carry the weight of all of the Jonas that have ever been on his shoulders, to take that for you and for me as an expression of this great mercy towards us. You see, there's hope and there's mercy hidden hidden in the belly of the fish. It's a severe mercy. So I I pray and I hope that you leave today feeling encouraged, not down, not down in the depths. And if you're there this morning, if you're in the belly of the fish, if you feel a lot like whale vomit, there is good news for you and for me this morning. And the good news is that Jesus suffered. And because Jesus suffered, he suffers with you where you're at, right now. Right now. Right in this moment. He's not far from your pain, he's not far from your tears. It's not too late. It's not the end. It's not the fourth quarter. It's the pregame.